Turn me your Bible this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How many of y'all have enjoyed this series over the last three weeks? I hope that it's spoken to you. I hope that it's spoken life to you. I believe that every time we bring the word, it should bring life to you, even if it hurts a little bit. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the last part of our Love Is series, and let me just give you a precursor. Next week, I'm starting a message, a series called Stones. Mm, some stones were meant to throw rocks at people. Some stones were meant to build altars. We got to choose which one we do. And so I want to challenge you to be a part of that series as we start that next month. But today, we're going to finish this one because I believe this is the strongest one out of all of them. But let me read this to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says this, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am hmm. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let me recap with you for just a moment of where we were for the last three weeks. Let me give you these side notes so that you kind of understand what each one of these points meant. Love is patient. Yeah, love is patient, but patient with people, not patient with yourself. Love is, love is kind. That means sweet to all. Love does not want Love does not need a parade. It's amazing to me how many times we love people and then think somebody needs to give us a parade to celebrate what we've done. If love is in its true form, you don't need a celebration. It is. It's a celebration in itself. Love conquers pride. Love is not rude. Love is selfless. Love does not get angry. Oh, Father, help us. But, Pastor, the Bible says be angry but sin not, but it doesn't say live angry. Love does not get angry. Love does not keep records of wrongdoing. Love does not like gossip, and love does not lie. Love can take anything that comes its way. Love trusts people and chooses to believe in them. Love hopes for the best and does not look for the worst. Love can conquer anything. But this morning, I just want to deal with one verse. Love never fails. And it's amazing to me when you say that because everybody in the room typically goes, yes, it does. Love can fail. Love can fail. Yes, God, manly love, fleshly love, uh, your love can fail. But the love of God never fails. And this is something I've looked at over the last four weeks as I've been dealing with this. And I said this to you last week, and I'm going to say it to you again. That if I love my wife from Brian, then it is not godly love. I have to love my wife from God's love because that love doesn't break. But Brian's love is flawed. Brian's love is conditional. Can I get an amen from somebody? Because here's how we typically love. I'll love you if you love me back. But that's not love. That's to feed an ego. That's to feed yourself rather than let the love of God be feeding or feed the one you're giving it to. If I go to Carmina, go, Carmina, I love you. And she, she just looks at me and goes, See, I, and I do this with some people because I know it's a, it's a struggle to say I love you because I love you has become a broken word because people say I love you and then hurt people and then love gets broken. It's not the people, it's the love that gets broken and then we don't love ever again. 
And so now, now the struggle is, well, if you say you love me, well, there's conditions to your love. You can say you love me, but I know that if you say you love me, you want something back from me. No, that's not, God, that's not godly love. That's man's love. Godly love says I freely give. And if you never return, it's okay. I still love you. I freely give. If you cut me, beat me, curse me, put me on a cross, I still love you. That's what Jesus' love was. Jesus' love was unconditional. He says, hey, listen, here's my love for you. Pour it out. Pour it out. I'm pouring my love, and, and, and all you got to do is receive it. I'm not asking for anything in return. I just need you to be willing to receive it. But love has been broken in the church. Love, I have tried to love my wife with the love of Brian. Most marriages end when you love out of yourself rather than out of the love of God. Because there is only one person that the Bible refers to that is love, and that is God, not Brian. It does not say that Brian is love. It says that God is love. And so when I say I love you to my wife, I better put God before it, not try to swing God in after it. I better make sure that the love I'm demonstrating to her is a love of out of giving, not in getting. A love that is given so that it can be received, so that it can bring healing and freedom and joy and peace. Rather than just saying it to say something in the confines of a relationship to soothe over the pains of mistakes. Love, true godly love, never fails. But you might say, but pastor, love fails. You've obviously not lived my life. You don't know the things I've faced, the people that have hurt me, the family that's done me wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, pastor, love fails. It fails big time. Well, let me recap what I said two weeks ago. Stop putting your faith in people. Put your faith in God and put your hope in people. And when people fail you, you don't lose your faith. See, we've done this wrong. We've put our, I put my, all my faith in them and they did me wrong and now I'm just messed up. If you put your hope in them, you understand that they're flawed human beings just like you are. Do you understand the thing that hope does? Hope gives us space for grace and mercy. But when someone breaks your faith, you want to bring out justice. And you want to vindicate your pain. Stop putting your faith in people and put your faith in God and put your hope in people and understand that it is okay if they come up short. It's okay if they're not perfect. We're still going to love them through the process. Love never quits. It never fails. Love fails. This is the lie that we tell ourselves when we refuse to deal with ourselves. The lie that we tell others when we refuse to love them regardless of what they've done to us. It's not that love fails, it's that we fail to love. I'm going to say that one to you again. It's not that love fails, it's that we fail to love. I've taken this scripture numerous times and I've taken this 1 Corinthians scripture and I've looked at it this way. Brian suffers long and is kind. Brian does not envy. Brian does not parade itself. Brian is not puffed up. Brian does not behave rudely. Oh, that would just mess up half of us. <laughs> Brian does not seek its own. Brian is not provoked. Brian thinks no evil. Brian does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Brian bears all things. Brian believes all things. Brian hopes all things. Brian endures all things. Brian never fails. And I've done that over the years because I have had to balance myself in the confines of godly love rather than the confines of my own worldly manufactured love. 
You want to talk about love? Let's talk about love for just a second. I was born into a split home. Actually, I was born into an absentee home. What that means is that my mama raised my brother and I. We didn't have a daddy growing up. I wondered why no man wanted to be my pops, why no man wanted to take me on as their son. I was hurt, but I hid it very well. My mom remarried when I was six years old to a military man who did not, and I'm going to say this to you because everybody wants to always blame people, and I need you to understand it's not the people, it's the brokenness in the people that you're not dealing with. So many people want to say that that person hurt me. That, but did you just take five seconds to put them under the confines of the love of God and understand that maybe, just maybe, they hadn't received what you've been looking for? It wasn't that my dad didn't love me. It was that he didn't know how to love me. He didn't know how to deal with this guy. He didn't know how to deal with a six-year-old who grew up without a daddy. He didn't know how to deal with a six-year-old whose daddy abandoned him. He didn't know how to take on that pain, that process. And, I, and then we get into a household where there's drinking and there's abuse and there's these things happening. And, and we've all talked about it. I, look, you talk about love failing. Man, every time, oh, man, I love you. But then it would just turn around and bite me in the behind on the backside. We've all been there. We've all had moments of, Pastor, I didn't, oh, my family was there. But you had somebody else who did something to you. We've all had people fail us. We've all seen moments where love failed. But I have to continue to love in that same space. So, like, I, I, I sat there on the phone this week with my sister. And I, this wasn't in my notes. This is sidebar for you this morning. I sat on the phone with my sister the other day, and we were talking about our lives, and we were talking about our family. And for the first time, and I'm going to say this, and I don't know if she'll watch this later or not, but for the first time, probably in the last 10 years, I actually had probably one of the greatest conversations I've ever had with my little sister in my life. And this is what I said to her. She says, I know you don't follow me on Facebook. I said, you're right. I don't follow you on Facebook because you're controversial. And I don't want to be a ticked-off brother. So I better, I'm not going to build my relationship with you based on what you post on social media. Can I just say this as a sidebar? Stop bending your relationships to love somebody based on moments that they have to think that they got to th- say something on social media. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I told her point blank. I said, listen, I unfriended you. <laughs> Pastor, you can't unfriend people. They're going to they're gonna be hurt. If you unfriend, you just gotta you gotta hide their feed so that they can't see that you're not looking at them. You don't want to hurt their feelings. If my relationship with my sister is bent on Facebook and we have no relationship, there is no love. It is based on an internet signal. That's stupid. Can I get an amen from somebody in the church? That that is just dumb. I don't want to listen. Let me say something. If what you're looking, I don't not in my notes. If you if you what you're looking at on social media is bringing you hardship. Click the button. You don't need that trash in your life. Let it go. Click. And if social media is a hardship for you, cut the whole sucker off. You don't kill a man because he's got cancer. You cut the cancer out. No, I got to die with Facebook. I I went to my grave holding on to Facebook. That's just stupid to me. But anyway, we had this conversation. And I said to her, I said, hey, why is it? that dad, your dad, won't talk to me. And she said, you know, I really don't know. I've tried to talk to him a couple times about it, and he just doesn't want to go there. I said, because every time he comes into town, every time he's around and I see him, I've said the same thing to him. Hey, can we get together? And she goes, he doesn't, he, may, he might not just want, he might, he might just not want to admit that he might have been wrong. I said, I'm not asking for him to admit he was wrong. 
I'm just asking for an opportunity to love him. I'm just asking for an opportunity to tell him that I haven't quit. I'm just asking for an opportunity to say, listen, it doesn't matter that you and I had a disagreement. It doesn't matter that you and I hollered and yelled at each other. I still love you, and I'm going to love you whether you love me back or not. It doesn't matter that you made mistakes when I was a kid. It doesn't matter that you chose other things. It doesn't matter that you haven't been a father. It doesn't matter that even though you changed my name, you still won't take me on as your son. I still love you. That's godly love. That's the love that never fails. And let me be honest with you, it has been one of the hardest places for me to learn how to live. Because I want to be angry. I want to be hurt. I want to be frustrated. I want him to feel the pain that I feel. That's the flesh of Brian. But when God takes over, some reason my arms go like this. For God so loved the world that he gave. What? His son. To do what? To open up his arms as a sign of reception. You wonder why Jesus' arms were placed out by his side like this? To leave an indelible mark on your heart that he never quits being ready to receive you if you choose to come home. God does not sit, although he is a righteous judge, he does not want the position. He does not want to have to take that place in your life. He does not sit in heaven like this. He sits in heaven like this. Wiping away the tears because he's grieving over you being lost because the Bible says that he grieves over one lost soul. He doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Because if God is love, then everything that is in this scripture says that God suffers long. God does not envy. God does not parade himself. God is not puffed up. God does not behave rudely. God does not seek his own. God is not provoked. Here's a kicker. God thinks no evil. God does not rejoice in your iniquities. God rejoices in the truth of your life. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. And God never fails. It's time that you and I start to live the same way. When the word says that love never fails, it's saying that when we choose to love, we cannot fail. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 8 says this. Beloved, let us love one another. Who? Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. And look at that person you chose not to look at right now. Look him in the face say, I love you. If you have not said it yet, I can see you. I'm going to keep doing it till you do it. So you might as well look over and say it because I need you to get God in you more than you got your flesh in you. So look at your neighbor and say, I love you. If they make an ugly face at you, say it again. <laughs> Till love conquers. And if you refuse it, then you're refusing not what I'm telling you. You're refusing God. Yes. Beloved, let us love everybody. Hmm, Jesus. Pastor, but you, but you know, that one person, they did me wrong. I can't love them. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick sidebar. If you can't love them, then you won't let God love you. Beloved, let us love one another for, the lo for love is what? Of who? Of you? No. 
For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows. I'm, I'm not writing this stuff. I just need you to know that I didn't write this. Everyone who loves is what? Born of and what? So would that beg the statement to say that if you refuse to love, then you do not know God? Oh, that hurts. That's a quick jab. I love the way God slides things under the radar in his scripture like, he, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It is amazing to me how many church people say they know God, but do not resemble or reflect him in any way, shape, or form. God is not a friend on Facebook. He's part of my 2,000 friends. Baby, if you got 2,000 friends, go start a church. Go win them to Jesus, please. My God. Our problem in today's society is that we have become lovers of ourselves and left our brothers and sisters in the ditch of despair. We don't love everybody. We love us as long as they love us first. Can I just say this to you as another sidebar? We tend to do the same thing to God. We only love God because he says he loved us first. But what if he never loved you? Would you have loved him? What if he never said, I loved you first? Would you still love him? What if he never does another thing for you in this lifetime? Would you still love him? Because here's the other part of it. We are playing the pony trick game with God where God, as long as you perform for us, we'll keep loving you. But the moment you don't give me what I want, I'll quit. That is not love. That, 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 that's not the love of, that's not how God wrote this thing. But yet we put conditions on God. Well, he puts conditions on me. Yes, he loved you so much to redeem you out of your ignorance. To save you out of your stupid self. And I did say the S word in church. Stupid. Ooh, he said stupid. Get over it. Because let me help you with something. The reason we were in sin is because we were stupid. And we one day had this epiphany that we didn't want to be stupid. I'm not stupid, Pastor. Stop saying it about me. Then where's the love? Because if you have no knowledge then you're stupid. And the Bible says to know love is to know God. If you don't know love, then you don't know God. Then you are stupid. Don't get offended. Church was created to bring offense so that you change. Amen. That's what the word says it'll happen. Our problem is that today we don't love each other. We only love people based on what you give me. We live with the handout love. As long as you put something in the box, I'll love you. If you don't put anything in the box, I won't love you. If you make a mistake, I'll stop loving you. If you do something wrong to me, I'll hold you in penalty until the end of days. I will become your judge and jury. God can't even save you because I'm going to hold you responsible because this is even what church folk do today. Somebody comes in a little, little less holier than they are, and then they want to be like, Pastor, they don't fit in the box. The problem is you're the only one that fits in that box because God came to break down the box. You keep putting yourself in the box and thinking everybody's got to jump in your box. You wonder why you're alone. You wonder why church folk don't want why, why the world doesn't want to be around church people anymore. Come on, work with me for a second. Uh, they, yo, like, like, let's, stop, let's stop with the religious banter, stupidity that the church does and thinking everybody's just great in the church. It's not. The church is a messed up, jacked up place. 
I'm going to say it to you, and I'll probably have people on Facebook go, Pastor, I don't agree. You can disagree with me all you want. But the church is a jacked up place because it has become more condemning than the world. The world receives us better than the church does. And then they, then they go, man, follow God. Why would I want to follow your judgmental, unloyal, unfaithful God? Would you just want to just kill me? Listen, sin is sin. And I'll tell you that sin is sin. I'll tell you what is sin. But then I'll also tell you that the love of God is greater than that sin. And if you fall into his arms, he will redeem you from that sin. And he will walk you through the process of walking away from that sin so that you can live in the fullness of everything he promised in his word. I don't want you to live in sin, but I don't want you to die in your sin either. Hmm. I love what 2 Timothy says, and I read this to my, to my sister the other day because I needed her to understand. This is not an end time statement, although it says this in the beginning. I believe this is just a proven space that God knew exactly where we would be as a people at some point. And this has happened over different moments, in the, in the, even in the Bible, but it is prevalent in our time today. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. There is so much unrest right now. And, and I'm going to say this because I'm going to keep my eyes closed because I don't want anybody to think I'm thinking one thing or another or think I'm speaking to one thing or another. I am so sick and tired of hearing that it is a political issue, it is a presidential issue, it is a governmental issue. There has never been in the course of history a government that outweighed God. I need you just to hear me on this, and I don't need you to understand. But, Pastor, the, the, the president, okay, you act like he's the first man ever, that whether you believe this or not, has ever, people go, he's a racist. Okay, he's the first person in office that's ever been a racist. You, 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 people, I mean, it blows my mind. You watch media long enough, you watch the news long enough, and everybody's throwing their arms over. The world is falling. Baby, the world has been going to hell in a handbasket since Jesus left. When you took Jesus, when Jesus left the earth, he said, get ready and be ready. For you do not know the hour or the moment of his return. But it is amazing to me how we get lost and we come divided and we stop loving each other. We can't even smile at each other anymore because somebody else in an office might have said something stupid or done something dumb. Shut up and find God. You're not going to find it in a politician. You're going to find it in his word. You're going to find it in living what he tells you to live. But know this, that in the last day, perilous times will come. Watch, here it comes. For men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Can we just stop there? Last night, I was, I was flipping through some little videos on, on, on my Apple TV, and there was a kid in the classroom that decided he was going to get up and be angry started grabbing the computer screens off the desks and just started throwing them across the room. And Judah was in the room, and, and he laughed. And before you crucify my son in a moment of annoying, I, I did. I went, that ain't funny. That boy needs a spanking. But he said, Dad, I wasn't laughing at him. I was laughing at the kids. This kid behind him was filming. It was like his laugh was kind of comical. It kind of made you laugh. And I understood. And I said, son, I said, son that, that's the problem with our culture today. There's no respect. But let me tell you something. Before you blame the child, blame the parent. <sighs> because respect is taught. It's, it's learned behavior. When I see a kid acting out, I want to go find the parent and go sit down. Because guarantee if I find a parent, I'm going to find out why that kid's the way he is or she is. Because the moment, who the blankety blank you think you talk about, well, get it, never mind. I understand that. Because you're going to get the same disrespect from them that their child is displaying. 
I'm reading this. For men will be lovers of themselves. They don't love anybody anymore. They love themselves. Lovers of money. Oh, baby, we chase that money. Lovers, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Can I read it to you again? You want to hit it one more time? So you can hit it all in your spirit. Because I need you to understand this is not Brian telling you this. This is the word of God telling us. And if the love of God does not take over, we're going to die in this. This is the kind of scripture that happens before a culture fails. And this is where we are. And I'm going to say this to you with all love. We're here because the church has stopped. Now, before you amen me down right there, be like, yeah, preach, past the church has stopped. What are you doing? Because what I'm tired of is preaching from this pulpit and having everybody amen me and then do nothing for six days and then show back up and amen me again on another Sunday. You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite if I'm preaching it and not living it. Yeah, but you're the pastor. You have to. Have you read your word? It does not say because Brian's the preacher, he has to do it. He says, go. Who? You might as well join the club, baby. This is the problem. We're not loving people anymore. We are too bent on rules and not on love. We condemn certain sins more than others. Can I just help you with this? Homosexuality is not the unforgivable, unpardonable sin. Blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is. But it is amazing to me, a homosexual walking, oh, God, oh, God, what are we doing? Oh, God, they have the same access you have. Let them in. Stop playing bouncer at the church door. Sorry, you can't come in. Oh, yeah, you're holy enough. You can come in. Yeah, you and you, God, we got this today. We're going to have a really good service today. The only problem is they never saw God leave the building as you were ushering people in the building. Because you didn't bring in the ones he was trying to get a hold of. He's already got you. What about the ones who don't have him yet? Rip the doors off the front of the building and let them come home. So that God can touch them the same way he touched you. Trust me, I was just as jacked up as anybody. But he had enough love and enough grace and enough mercy on me to touch me. And to cause me to walk away from my sinful ways so that I might live in him. Love never fails. The love of God. Listen, I made many mistakes growing up and kept making the same mistakes growing up over and over and over. And what was amazing to me is that I didn't understand. I felt like God was quitting on me. I felt like God gave up on me. And the problem was, was because I was looking for his love to be looking like what man gives rather than what the love of God really truly is. I was comparing his love to people. I was comparing his love to my dad. He'll just quit like everybody else does. It'll just be a matter of time. I had relationships after relationships, pastors in my life that quit on me, and I'd get mad and say, God, I don't understand. And God says, they're human. Let them be human and let my love be enough to keep you. Let them deal with that, but don't let them, their mistakes hurt you. Understand that I love you. Fourth time out of jail is when I finally caught it. It took four times. I was a little slow. (laughs) But I laid in a bed, and I said, God, I don't understand. And God started to deal with my heart. And he says, you keep trying to receive the love of man, but you keep rejecting mine. I look at this scripture, and I realize we are stuck 
Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal despisers of good. Watch the media long enough and you'll see it. Without self-control, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form, this is the one that breaks my heart. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Can I just say this to you? Attending church weekly but not winning the lost. We have bound the Holy Spirit from moving in the local church. We don't want miracles because miracles freak people out. I don't care whether it freaks you out or not. I want it. Because I want to experience the whole book, not just a couple pages in it. I don't want to live my life finishing this race and God go, man, you really did good in your attendance at church. Yay. I want God to go, man, you took everything that got deposited in you and told the world. And can I just say this to you? That's not what I do in this room. Me preaching to you on a Sunday morning is not me doing my duty. This is just a part of who I am. Me doing my duty is leaving on a Monday. <laughs> going into a Walmart or to a gas station and not being willing to pray with somebody and, and tell them about the love of God and seeing people down and out and sharing my faith and what God's done in my life with them. That, that's love. That's me doing my duty. Doing my duty is not being a pastor. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So if you think that me standing here up on a pulpit, well, pastor's done his part. Now it's time for us to go do ours. No, when you leave on tomorrow, when you get up tomorrow morning and you go to do your thing, I'm going to go the same thing and do mine. Because I got to go love people and I got to let them know about Jesus too. We, we, we become buildings full of people who pay penance to just go to church because we think that going to church gives us heavenly access. Baby, devil came to church this morning. I hate to tell you that. We had devils in, in, in speaker cabinets up here this morning. Guitars weren't working. No, I'm just telling you. Don't think that a devil didn't show up this morning thinking he was going to play games. Just because you come to church doesn't make you holy. Amen. Coming to church doesn't make you righteous, baby. Wake up tomorrow morning when there's no lights, no sound, no worship, no preacher, and find Jesus without any of that. Then you'll start walking. Find him when there's nothing to lead you but him. All of this is to give you the strength to press through a Monday, to get you back into a life group on a Tuesday, to get you plugged in all week long and then to bring you back here. Could you imagine if Sunday was more of a celebration than you trying to find yourself? I got to go to church Sunday. I don't know. I had a bad week. I had a bad week. Oh, God, I had a bad week. I need church. That sucks. You needed church to get out your bad stuff? Because all I had to do was call Jesus. All I had to do was get up this morning while my heart was beating at 140 beats a minute as I'm walking through my house. And go, hey, God, not today. Mm -mm. I got missions to do. I got stuff to do today. So, God, I need. So, I'm sitting in the bathroom. God, touch that. That's not right. That's beating all weird. That's not your plan for me. Five minutes later. Pastor, that's great. He does it for you. He can do it for you, too. Just got to call on him. See, I don't have to wait till Sunday to be okay. Sunday is my celebration moment. Sunday is when I come in here and when they start singing all these songs and that, man, I, y'all don't understand. I'm in the back finishing, getting ready to come out because I'm grabbing all my stuff together and I got service live in the back room. I'm worshiping, putting my shirt on. Woo! 
You can't hear it because there's like four walls between us and you. But I'm worshiping. Why? Because I didn't come here to go, oh, so bad. Oh, God. Could you imagine if I showed up every Sunday crying? You all be like, this is not the church for me. We got to leave. This pastor doesn't have faith. Nothing. He has nothing. Nothing. He needs Jesus. Okay. So I have to come. Why can't you? I got to get over Brian so that I can be found in him. So I can let that stuff come over me so that I can run this race and not fail, not finish. It is time that we love. Love never fails. It never quits. It never surrenders. It never forfeits. It does not tap out or sell out or put out. I'll just sit there for a second. Because I'm going to sit on that last one for just a minute. Love does not tap out. Does not sell out. Nor does it put out. It gets quiet in this Presbyterian church when you go there real quick. What? Did he say that in church? Oh, yeah, I said it. And yet we call it love. Love is not found in the confines in the bedroom. I'm going to say this to you as a cyborg. And I know you didn't come to marital counseling today, but let me say this to you real quick. Real, real quick, like on a Sunday morning in a 10 o'clock service. You ready for this? Sex is not the byproduct, is, is not the production of love. Sex is the byproduct of love. Love is not found in the physical movement of two bodies. It is found in the communication of one soul to another. And once that communication is effectively working, then sex becomes the byproduct. That's how you become fruitful and multiply. The problem is, is we're not fruitful and multiplying. We're multiplying dead, decaying things. Oh, it got tight real quick. Y'all felt that? Y'all felt it go, all the air got sucked out at the same time. Pastor, I, I'm going to say it. I, and if you're young, just earmuffs. <laughs> oh, man, Pastor, I, my whole, when I don't get sex, I'm, I'm so mad. It's because you have no communication, you dummy. The only reason you, because you think that's communication. That is not godly love. If that was the case, then it would have said God is sex. <laughs> but it doesn't say it. It says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is patient. Can I say it to you one more time? Love is patient. For some of you men in the room, love is patient. Some of you married men in the room, love is really patient. Shut up. Stop running around thinking that's the benefit of your relationship. Baby, that is the byproduct. Can I just say this to you? And I say this in my room. My wife's sitting on the front row, blushing like the way she is right now. Going, I cannot believe you're doing this in service. I do not run around the house going, when are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? When are going to do it? We're going to do it. You know what I want to do? I want to spend time with my wife. I want to go to dinner with my wife. I want to communicate with my wife. Because that is love. That is called communion. My son's over there going, no. <laughs> Y'all are looking at me like I'm stupid right now. I'm just saying what no one's willing to say in the church anymore. Because we don't speak truth. We want to say, be fruitful and multiply. You can't be fruitful and multiply a dead thing. Because it'll just create hardships. Find the love of God first and then find the spouse. If you are finding a spouse looking for the love of God, you're not going to find it. Most people that I counsel, they come to me and say, Pastor, our marriage is failing. Talk to me about it. Well, do y'all do do pray together? No. 
Ever? No. Try that. That might be a good start somewhere. Do you ever pray for her or do you ever pray for him? No. So mad at them. Well, why did you mad? Because he looked good. Because she was hot. That's not love. What happens if you go blind? You're going to fall out of love. Work on me. Work on me. Come on. I'm just... I've hit that button and it's over now. It's on. Now just sit back and enjoy the ride now. It's amazing to me what people do. Son, we okay still? We okay over there? We okay? No. Scarred for life. He's done. He's over. But can, can I just say this to you? Can, can I just say this to you, men? I, I didn't mean to go here. I did. Uh, we're just there. Kirk, pray for me. I need your prayers this morning. Uh, can, can I can I can I say this? Can I say this? And don't don't get offended. Well, you can if you want to. It's your choice. Um, let, let me say this, and I'm gonna close in just a minute. Eventually, uh, I, I'm old school. Okay, I'm, I'm old school. I believe it is the man's responsibility. But the Bible says, "Men love your wives as Christ loved the church." Okay, now I, that's not popular teaching in the church today. I'm editing as I go. Just y'all bear with me for a second. Take that line and remove it because that's going to get really rough real quick. God says to love your wives as Christ loved the church. He says, wives, submit to your husbands, but that doesn't mean a delegated authority submission. It means to allow him to take the role if he's willing to walk in it. Cannot let someone have a role who refuses to walk in it. Amen. Why do you think more women wear the pants today than men do? Ah, okay, I'm going to come off the stage for a second. Yeah, before you get mad, oh, pastor, here we go, here we go. Stop for a second. So the Bible says, for wives to submit to your husbands, but for husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church, a life of giving, not getting. It says for men, and this is, I'm reading from another version in my head, but, but, but it says, it, there's another translation that says to husbands, Ordain your wife or, or cover your wife with dazzling white silk. Uh, unveiling her beauty and pushing her, her to her dreams and destiny. That's love. And the women said. But for some reason, men go, sex. <laughs> and God goes, No. I put the responsibility of us to love our spouses on the man, and you will walk. I got to name it from the back. And you will walk in the fullness of the love of God. God called man to be the priest and king of his home. Not the pauper and the man walking out the back door. Got tighter again. I'm not. Love doesn't quit. Love sees a bad day and says, I got something to conquer. <laughs> love goes, I know, what, I know what can handle, and I know what can overcome this. Love can. You ask my wife, do we argue? <laughs> Amen. We argued this morning. I was arguing about closet space this morning. <laughs> you took it all. I have nothing, like this much room. 
You took both closets. What do you have in there? All my stuff. And I proceeded to go, because you're a hoarder. She goes, we need it. No, we don't. Okay, that was our moment this morning. Pastor, you did that before church? Yes! And we still came here in love today. Amen. Because you know what she did to me? She goes, whatever. <laughs> Just walked off from me. I was like, well, I guess, I guess that conversation's over. It's probably with the, con- the, the closet probably sent me into AFib this morning. I mean, I don't know. It's, The problem is, at the end of the day, we're not willing to love each other through a process. We only want to love each other when it's good. Come here, babe. Come here. And she's like, I'm like, I can't do anything worse than what I've already done, so we're all good. Okay. Huh? The light switch? No, we're not going there. See, what you're just trying to tattle. See, that's not love, babe, when you want to tattle on me. What was, what, did you tell me when I broke the light switch on accident? Oh. What? The light switch. Oh, 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 amen, amen, amen. Last night, okay, now I need you to, no, she doesn't need a microphone. Do not give her a microphone. You lost. Kirk Boyles, sit down, sir. Oh. Ha, 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 see, see, they work for me. She's on my mic. Hello, hello. All right. So this is what happened. I was saying that's what love is. No, that that is not love. That is abuse. (laughs) It's love. Tell tell them what you did. Tell them. Men. Okay. I was watching my shows. You you were doing what? Watching my shows. Okay. Go ahead. In our bed. Uh Turn her up. Turn her up because she needs to get this out. (laughs) (laughs) He was in the living room. I fell asleep, but I woke up and I called him to the room. Sounds like this. Babe. (laughs) Baby. Understanding that we are literally 10 feet from each other. And I'm he came sitting in, in the recliner. room and said, can you turn the light off, please? <laughs> you notice that, not one man in this room is laughing. Not one. They're like, oh, pastor. We he said, why can't you turn me? it off? I, I, I walked in the hallway. She goes, can you turn the light off? And I just stood like this. <laughs> I said, I was sleeping. I just woke up. Did you, are you dead? <laughs> did your legs stop operating? Did your hands not move? No. Why did I have to get up? And this is what she said to me. It's love. That's what love if is. If you love me, you turn the lights on. <laughs> so I walked away. Took four steps, came right back, turned that light switch off. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Went back to my recliner and watched a movie with my son. Amen. And I, and, and oh, never mind. I'm going to come up here. Because I didn't come back looking for the benefits of a light switch turned off. I was confident and that was love. And that's all it needed to be. Learn how to love and just be in love. And love people. It's amazing. What you'll conquer. Can I? I I'm, I've broken all my notes for today. <laughs> if you want my notes for later, it is not in here. Amen. <laughs> what did you learn today? Well, Pastor started about love, then he started talking about sex, and then it was a light switch.
can't wait to see the comments on Facebook today. That pastor lost his mind. Yes. Listen, real quick. So many times we try to find our purpose. God, what's my purpose? I can give it to you today. You want it? Love. Love one another. And don't let it have limits. I want to show you this video, and I know I've gone over time, but I want to show this to you because uh, I cry every time I watch this video, every single time. And this is not, it's, it's probably wouldn't be, some of y'all, it's not going to be tear-jerking to you at all, but I cry because I've met this family, I've had a chance to sit down and talk to them, and I think this is what's missing. Don't just listen to what is said, but I want you to see who says it. And understand the price that this man paid to say what he said. And then the indelible mark that he left on this planet, because this is what he always said. So I want to turn your attention to this subject, loving your enemies. It's so basic to me because it is a part of my basic philosophical and theological orientation. The whole idea of love, the whole philosophy of love. In the fifth chapter of the gospel as recorded by St. Matthew, we read these very arresting words flowing from the lips of our Lord and Master. Ye have heard that it hath been said Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. The Greek language comes out with another word for love. It is the word agape. Agape is more than eros. Agape is more than philia. Agape is something of the understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overflowing love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are likable, but because God loves them. You look at every man and you love him because you know God loves him. And he might be the worst person you've ever seen. And this is what Jesus means, I think, in this very passage when he says, love your enemy. And it's significant that he does not say, like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me and other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus says, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. You refuse to do anything that will defeat an individual because you have a copy in your soul. So Jesus says, love. 
because hate destroys the hater as well as the hated. Now that is the final reason I think that Jesus says love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And that is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. Altars have closed churches across America because we don't love. The altar call is not filled anymore because it's not built on love, it's built on fear. If I were to die tonight and would I go to heaven or hell or hell or so I run to the altar and say, oh God, move into my heart because I don't want to go to hell. That's not the relationship that God wants. God wants to make a deposit in you of love. That in the midst of your worst moments, he still loves you. It is that moment when love comes in that our lives are radically changed. It creates the space of redemption. And, and I need you to understand that you are walking conduits of redemption. That if the love of God is operating inside of you, you don't look at the flaws or the mistakes of a person. You look at the promise of a person. For years, I've had people tell me, Pastor, you, you, you got a lot of grace with people. Because God's had a lot of grace with me. It's not about just preaching another cute message during February because it's Valentine's Month and it's Black History Month. And I'm going to say this again. I said the first week, I'll say it again. It shouldn't be a Black History Month. Black History is a part of our culture. It should be celebrated year-round. You shouldn't have to wait till one time a year to celebrate people like that. Or one day out of the year. Man, that word right there is as strong to me as what I read in my scriptures because everything he declared was the word. We don't even want to sit around and talk anymore. I care about your struggles. I care about your pain. I care about what you go through. But I need you to know that I love you too much to let you stay there. I'm sorry that people have done you wrong. I'm sorry that people have mistreated you, whether for the, the decisions you've made or for the color of your skin. I am sorry that people are inherently have the ability to make mistakes, but can I just tell you that those things were not meant to be your downfall? But pastor, you don't know. You're right, I don't, and you don't know mine. But at some point, we got to get over ourselves and just love each other. I was walking into a gas station the other night with my kids after we were moving some stuff and it was late. This gentleman was coming out of the gas station. My daughter was standing there. And I watched her ooh, grab the door and hold the door. And this gentleman which some people would get lost because he was of another color, walks out the door and looks at her in bewilderment. 
He says, thank you. She looks at him and goes, you're welcome. <laughs> Proud dad moment. Because if there's anything I can teach my kids more than anything in this world, beyond to live for God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, is to love, love, sitting in the car the other night I'm driving and I just started crying for no reason. I'm a, wee, I'm a wimp like that. Weenie. I start bawling. God, what is that? He just said, I just want you to feel that. I'm like, what, God, what is that? I don't want to cry. I'm like, Aah. can't see the road. God says, that's my love. I said, God, why is it making me cry? Because when I love you, it touches your heart, not your flesh. It doesn't soothe your, your fleshly desires. It soothes your spiritual desires. Man, I'm telling you, I wept and cried in that car all the way back to the house. I was like, God, I don't know what's wrong with me. I felt the love of God. But when we feel it, we got to give it too. Because let me help with something. It increases as you give it. Can I give you one more story real quick? Just one more real quick, because I'm so proud of this lady. She's one of our very own. And I'm not going to ask her to come up here, but Miss Pat Baker's in the room. And, and oh God, a story that I could tell you, her son was murdered. Murdered. She called me one day. She said, Pastor, we need to talk. And I'm like, okay. So we met in the back room, and, and we got to talking about the murder. And she had been carrying this pain, and this man was up for parole. She had to make the decision whether to approve or disapprove. And the conversation left from the approval and disapproval to forgiveness. She had been carrying the news clippings, the pain of the past, the lost, all the stuff. She walked into my office with a folder full of all the news clippings of his pain. And she's like, I read these. And I looked at her and I said, those clippings don't define your son. His loss doesn't define who he was. His life does. Let's get rid of it. I watched her in my office take those news clippings she had been carrying for years and crumble them. And then we were able to pray forgiveness. And I told her, I said, Miss Pat, whatever you decide, it will be your choice. But she walked out with the love of God, not the pain of the loss. Your job in this life is to give the love of God away so that God can fill you up again so that you can give it away again. But see, this is not a matter of you filling your vessel. This is a matter of emptying it. God says, do not live this life full of yourself. Live this life full of me. But the only way you keep getting full of me is by emptying what you have. Because if you cannot empty what you have, he cannot fill you with something brand new. Some of you all across this room have stories. But if I can encourage you in anything, it's not to love a color of skin or to love a person who's been. It's just to love, to choose to love everybody. I pull up on the people that are holding up signs and they say, I'm pregnant, I'm homeless, blah, 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 blah. And half the time my flesh goes, yeah, I know they're lying. Because that's just an epidemic we live in our community. But can I tell you what those signs read that we are not looking at? 
Can somebody tell me where the love is? Because I don't feel it anymore. My son and I have talked about this. Dad, what makes them do that? They're in pain, son. Somebody quit on them. Somebody hurt them. Who's going to pick up the mantle to love? When Jesus left the earth, he laid it down. And he said, I dare you to pick it up and carry it. I dare you to carry my mantle and to touch other people's lives. I dare you to get over yourself for a moment. And remember, if we do not love each other, then the world will never know God.